My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I'm sitting down with Shelby Stanger. She is a podcast host, producer, journalist, writer, and speaker. You can contact her on her website, www.shelbystanger.com. Welcome, Shelby. Thanks for having me, Patricia. I know this is part two, but uh, in the time of COVID, we had some interruptions, so we had to try it again. You betcha. Um, for everyone listening, Shelby and I did a round one at this podcast, and um, we had internet issues and all sorts of fun, interesting interruptions due to the nature of, of what is our reality right now. So we're coming back in for round two. And in my experience, it's, you know, I shouldn't say this because it encourages too many people, but you go back in on the second podcast and it's always better. There's, there's more familiarity. There's always information. So I'm excited to unpack it with you and can climb back into your story again with you, Shelby. But before we do that, for everyone listening, a quick roadmap for today's podcast. It's going to follow the same trajectory as all of them for this series. We're going to look at four main pillars. First, we're going to unpack um, Shelby's academic background and early professional life. And then we'll look at um, Wild Ideas Worth Living and her new podcast and shows and other um, main projects that she's got going on. There's been some really cool stuff that Shelby's done um, early January this year and, and cool things on her horizon. And that will shed us right over into goals that she has for the next one to three years, um, possibly. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that Shelby has for those of you who are looking to get in touch with her or perhaps emulate some of her career success thus far. A quick bio on Shelby before I start peppering her with questions. Um, Shelby Stinger is an award-winning podcast host, producer, journalist, writer, and speaker. On assignment, she sandboarded down desolate dunes in South Africa, surfed from uh, Tavarua? Tabarua, okay, to Tofino, and interviewed countless CEOs and athletes for international publications. Shelby is a big believer that stories can impact change. The common thread to all of her work, a little adventure is life's antidote to soul-seeking, to second chances, and to success. In addition to creating Wild Ideas Worth Living, which she started in 2016 and licensed, then sold to REI Co-op, Shelby is the host of Luthvana's Life's Changing Places podcast, um, which is cool because I can't wait to climb into that with you, Shelby, and is launching two new shows in 2020. Those will be fun to kind of unpack with you as well. 
Her audio adventures focus on stories of people who've taken the path less traveled and stories that encourage listeners to achieve their own goals. While she's become a sought-after podcaster, she recently launched a course called How to Start, Grow, and Monetize Your Podcast. You can find out more, again, on her website at www.shelbystanger.com and via her social media handles, which are at Shelby Stanger and at Shelby Podcasts. So Shelby, I do want to climb into, you've got so much going on and so many um, new things on your horizon, but before we get to that, I'm hoping that you can kind of draw a picture of your academic background and early professional life that like led you to the place you are now. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Patricia, round two. I really appreciate everything you guys are doing over there as well. So I always wanted to be a journalist. I learned at a really young age that stories are super powerful. And when I was 16, I wrote for a national youth magazine. I won an essay contest that my high school teacher gave us extra credit for. And that propelled me to think that I could be a writer. And so I wrote for this national youth magazine and I wrote a personal story about a family member's battle with alcoholism. And then I'd interviewed my mother's student. My mom was a professor at San Diego State. The student had been date raped. And so I wrote a story about alcoholism, a story about day rape, and, and I was 16 and kids wrote in saying that that story affected them. That really was powerful to me at a young age. I learned yeah. how far word could travel. So I went to Emory, which is a school in Atlanta, Georgia. I stuck out like a sore thumb. It was the only division three school I applied to, but I wanted to play soccer and I wanted to be a journalist. And mm. they had CNN in Atlanta. It was really cool. I had a really good experience. And freshman year, my teacher said, hey, the best thing you could do is get an internship at your local newspaper. So I did just that. And you live in La Jolla. So if you get the La Jolla Village News, there's like one in every little San Diego beach community. Yeah. I knocked on the door of the newspaper and gave them my resume, showed them some clips. And a clip is like an article I've written. And they... They liked what I had to do. They basically liked that I was going to work for free for them. And they yeah. actually paid me a little bit for some stories. And it was just great experience. And by the second week I was there, I pitched them that I should do an adventure surfing column for the newspaper. And they're like, that's a great idea. So they gave me my own adventure surfing column. I was 19 years old. I became very cocky and full of myself. No, I was just, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is so cool. And honestly, I do pretty much that today. I interview adventures and I'm I've always just been fascinated by people who've taken the path less traveled. Now, I didn't continue on with journalism my whole life. Right after college, I got a job as the journalist for the Vans Warp Tour. And my job was to report on everything that could happen to, during a 60-day punk rock traveling concert tour and then send those stories every night through a dial-up phone line connection that I had to find in a dirt. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty rad. It was like, yeah. it ruined me because I thought all jobs would be that cool. Long story short, I ended up in marketing in vans and doing international sales and marketing. I had a really big tory, territory, um, an experience that I couldn't have paid to get at USC or UCLA. I mean, I was in charge of a giant $60 million territory at vans with one other guy. But in 2009, at the height of the recession, and I think this is important for anyone listening now, at the height of the recession, which we're about to enter a recession, we're already kind of in it now. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, I want to be a journalist again. I want to write stories about people going for it. And I'd fallen into a bit of a depression myself. But whenever I heard stories of other people going for it, whatever that was, and by the way, I was freelancing on the side of my full-time job at Vance just to prime myself to be able to leave and go back into journalism full-time. 
And in doing one story for outside, I interviewed all these cool people that I finally got the courage to give notice. And the day I gave notice, I got invited to go on a surf trip with all these guys who would surf these magical waves in Indonesia. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's when they say, you know, the universe will conspire to help you out when you really follow your bliss. But, but my, this path was ugly. Like the path to quitting my job at the high of the recession was really ugly. Anyways, from 2009 to about 2016, I was a freelance journalist. Mm -hmm. I did a couple commercials and thought that I would like get to keep doing that and make a lot of money, not doing much, but that didn't last very long. Um, and so I supplemented my income by doing marketing and PR. And I worked for companies like Nike, Prana, Body Glove, which I went in house for, for a full year. And I was lucky. I, I could also teach surfing. So I lived in Costa Rica for a few years. And then I met a guy in Costa Rica that I fell in love with. He was actually from San Diego. And we moved to New Zealand. And I was able to work from wherever I was. And one of the jobs I had was to report about the business of the outdoor and action sports industry. And I loved stories of entrepreneurs, especially in that industry. But in 2016, I'd been writing for magazines like Outside and ESPN and all these other things. But I was like, you know, magazine writing is a lot of work and it doesn't pay that much. And I just, I didn't love how my stories were edited often. And I loved the podcast format. And I especially loved Tim Ferriss' show. But I'd wish Tim was a woman, not yeah. a guy. And I wish he talked yeah. about adventure, not tech. And so... I took a strength finder test. I don't know. Have you ever done one of those? Uh, no, aptitude tests and things like that. They terrify me. So I took a strength finder <laughs> test with the recommendation of this guy. He's a mentor of mine. He works at 72 and Sunny. It's a really good ad agency. And he's like, shall we just take this? And it sort of led me to just giving me the confidence that I was really qualified to be a podcaster. I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome. And in 2016, I was like, who am I to compete with Tim Ferriss? I still am not competing with him, but Long, but what it did was it made me feel that I had the chops to be a podcaster. So I had plenty of marketing experience. I could interview people in my sleep. I knew all these people that I could interview. I'd already told all these great stories. I loved radio. I actually did a little bit of radio as a kid. And even when I lived, I lived in Breckenridge, Colorado after college for a short stint and worked as a reporter there. But I knew I was qualified to do it. So the only thing I needed to do was I'd interviewed a lot of CEOs, but I'd never run a business myself. Mm -hmm. So I took an entrepreneurship accelerator class through, it's called Stella Labs in San Diego. At the time it was run through Hair Labs. Now it's called Stella Labs. And the woman who runs it is the head of entrepreneurship at, at UCSD. And she's this incredible woman who's launched all these businesses. Day one, we wrote our business plan. And then the last day, which was the end of week 12, we had to present our business to a team of investors that physically came to meet us. And my business was a podcast. So yeah, that's sort of what led me to podcasting. I've always, I've always been fascinated by stories of people who've taken the path less traveled and turned their wildest idea into a reality. And that's what led me to Wild Ideas. I sold that podcast at, uh, as of January this year. I still host it. And I'm very involved in it. I'm launching a new one in a couple of weeks. It's centered on health and wellness. It's called Vitamin Joy. And I talk a lot about humor on that show as well. Uh, I don't know if it'll be up by the time that this podcast go live, goes live, but I do have a logo for it. I'm pretty excited. I just recorded the first show a few weeks ago. Sure. 
And uh, one thing is I recently launched classes on how to help people start their own podcast, but with the goal of monetizing it. There's a lot of podcasts and excuse me, most don't make money. And well, so- yeah. And I want to back up just a tiny bit before you jump into that, because I do love, and, and part of your, you know, your class on that, I think is, it should be wildly popular because it's the second thing you do once you become really solidified with, you know, the podcasting industry and all of the minutia involved in it. But I think it's interesting. You're the first podcaster I've spoken to, and I've spoken to well over a dozen in the past year who actually took their idea through an accelerator lab. It's, it's interesting to view a podcast. Um, it's kind of still the wild west in podcasting. And I think it's interesting that you took it as a small business from the get go. And I think that that's why I suspect at any rate that that's why the monetization happened so quickly for you, because you were thinking at it from this, this business end, as well as this niche area that you wanted to do. And I'm wondering if you can speak to, any points, like two or three major points at the Accelerator Lab? I'm assuming Sylvia Ma was involved with that. Yeah, she was my girl. Like Maven. Yeah. Help me do it, Sylvia Ma. Um, and so I'm wondering, uh, did, did, you, were, did you walk away from the Accelerator with two or three things that really helped you identify how to monetize your podcast or something that really changed the shape of how you were forming your podcast as opposed to someone who just grassroots it? And doesn't oh, get any advice. I'd say the biggest thing, and Sylvia helped me with this directly. She said, hey, you have to think of your business as a service as a service business. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> She's like, you have one customer that's your listener. And you need to create awesome content for your listener. Like, you have to cater directly to them. But then, unless you sell your own product, which that's the best way to make money on, off of a podcast, if you have your own product that you're selling, you have to get sponsors. And so she said, you have to think about what they want too. And for me, I was like, I want to create an adventure show. And she's like, okay, well, what adventure brand would want to pick up your show? And literally I ran into someone who I told him about my concept and he was a VP executive at Prana. And he's like, Shelby, I love it. He's like, you know, I just had lunch with the VP of REI. They're doing this whole campaign called Force of Nature, trying to get women into the outdoors and celebrating badass women like you. And I was yeah. like, they should subsidize your podcast. And Sylvia recommended I pitch REI right away. And I did. And uh, they were like, who are you? And I was like, just stay tuned. You'll, you'll eventually know who I am. So that was something important I learned was a, sometimes a no is not now. You know, I, I recircled back with REI a few months down the road. But I think to answer your, your question, you have to think about your podcast as a business. So you've got to serve your listeners, but you also have to serve a whole category of potential sponsors that would want to benefit from the content you're producing. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about that stuff. And there was a lot I didn't know. I mean, the whole revenue model was something else I didn't understand. And making money on a podcast is, is really tricky if you're just going by listeners. Yeah. Well, and those, that, those metrics change, you know, from, from month to month, from year to year, you know, there's, there's basic outlines of, of how much, if you have a certain viewership or audience that you will get paid and and you can look these up. I don't want to cite anything online. I'm sure they've changed since the last time I checked, but running ads, sponsorships, these are all things that, you know, you can do to monetize your podcast. But 
Um, even then, there's a certain amount that you get paid for the audience that you have. And all of that's kind of a, it's a dancing game. You know, the, there's the chicken and the egg. Like you have to develop your audience, but you can't develop your audience without like, you have to find these kind of, um, like I say, wild west ways, you know, these, the social media hacks and stuff like that. Like the big thing is like, go back to who, you know, like get it popular that way. There's a lot of like information out there, but it doesn't necessarily, there's these cute little life hacks, which are great, darling, don't get me wrong, but they don't speak to the direct, like hardcore monetization effort. And I think that where you've gone to very quickly with your experience in it is this this idea that you immediately go back into like, you are going to pitch people. There are this, you're not just nine times out of 10, most uh, in, individuals doing a podcast are not just going to be plucked from the ethos of, you know, episode number 10 and have someone say, listen, we need you. You know, that's just not really how it works out. And so I think it's interesting to have that be at the forefront of your brain as you're developing these episodes and what you were doing. And I do, I know that you, um, it was acquired and you're still hosting Wild Ideas Worth Living. And before we put like a bookend on that and move to your other endeavors, I want to quickly just climb into, so people understand, um, because I think it's one of the most successful forms I've heard about an acquisition with a podcast to date. And I want to talk about when you first launched it, how many episodes you put out before you were pitching REI and how long until that final this last January acquisition went down. Okay. Um, I don't know all those answers, but I know when I launched it, I wanted three kick-ass shows. So I did three shows and I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So if anybody else here is a bit of a perfectionist, can't tell by the way I brush my hair in my outfit, but with my work, I'm a perfectionist. And so I wanted to get over perfectionism. <laughs> That's part of the reason I launched a podcast. And so I had to have a show out every week. So I couldn't be as anal retentive as I was about my stories I would write for outside magazine. Like show had to go out. I had to get it done. So part of the thing was I had tight deadlines, so I couldn't second guess myself. So I had three to launch. I waited about six. So I waited until I had like a good 10 shows before I think I really told anybody i don't know maybe you know after three shows i started telling people about it casually but i didn't do any pr for my own show but what i did do was immediately i got sponsors and i didn't go to rei right away i went to brands i knew so i had a friend who owned a surf school and i went to her and instead of doing a monetization deal i did affiliate deals so it was like win-win for both parties mm. i also went to a yoga company that's now not not alive their foundation is but it was called graced by grit and they made fabulous yoga clothes and what we did was i did i don't they might have paid me but i think we also did an affiliate deal where like if you use the code wild ideas you got so much percent off and then they gave me a kickback which was awesome i mean the truth is is i took out my own money and i invested in myself and because i invested in myself and i went all in I had no excuse, but to not like I had to succeed. Like I wasn't going to fail. I had so much skin in the game that I worked my butt off on this podcast and I wanted to make really good content. Um, so I didn't do too much PR until people were like, Hey, I really like your podcast. And when I got enough feedback and people were sharing it, then I started like telling people about it. I emailed brands and I was supplementing paying my producer. So I paid a producer. So I was like really, I was really investing in it. Yeah. Um, I was doing PR and like writing articles. And my fiance was like, if you spent as much time pitching brands as you do writing articles and PR on the side, 
you'd be able to pitch your podcast and somebody would buy it. And at the time, I didn't have a lot of competition. There wasn't another co-ed show about adventure that was targeting action and outdoor sports hosted by a woman. And I was like, and none of them, nobody was a journalist. So I was like, I, I have this really unique value proposition I'm giving people. And the shows were really good. I was really proud of them. Uh, they got a lot better. And I eventually invested in really good sound equipment. But um, I didn't, so I bet, I bet you around, I bet you early on, like in the first three months, I pitched REI and said, hey, I'm going to be doing this podcast. I had contacted REI because they needed a content writer and I'd interviewed for the position, but I wasn't willing to move to Seattle. So that ended that conversation, but I kept in touch. And I think that's really important over my career. I've kept in touch with everybody and like yeah. on job interviews where like nothing came out of it. But then one day I might've introduced the guy I interviewed with to a girlfriend and they're dating, like all sorts of things in life happen when you meet people. Um, my mom always taught me that talk is cheap and you should take every conversation. So anyways, I pitched REI. I said, Hey, I have this great podcast. I know you guys are doing this force of nature campaign. Let's talk. And he's like, Hey, Shelby, love your enthusiasm, but we're not in the podcast space. We'll let you know if we are. So six months later, I pitched all these other sponsors and I was actually funding the show. Okay. And I was out of the red and I was in the green and I wasn't making a lot of money, but I wasn't dying anymore. I was like able to feed myself and buy surfboards, which you can tell I really like. <laughs> I pitched it again. I had, I created this pitch deck and I pitched all these other companies this pitch deck. And I was like, Oh, I, I should pitch the REI guy. And I just, I kind of forgot about it. So I emailed him and I said, Hey, you know, do you want me to send you a pitch deck? He's like, actually, we're kind of interested in the podcast space. Do you want to hop on a call in 15 minutes? Yeah. And I was like, what? And so <laughs> that happened. And so we did a licensing agreement for the first two years. So for, I started in 2016, I think in 2017 or maybe 2018 and 2019, we had a licensing agreement. And then, um, yeah, they, they were like, Hey, we, we would like to be, involved in your podcast in a bigger way. So that's sort of how the conversation happened. Yeah. I'm wondering just like a quick overview when it does, when you stay on to host, there's so many different caveats that you can kind of write in to your contract. When someone acquires your podcast and you stay on to host as the talent and things like that, were there major pitfalls that you ran into or major perks and benefits that you hadn't um, looked at before? Did you get assigned? I don't know how REI co-op was doing it. Did you get a research assistant? Did you get a producer? Did you get more hands on deck for the podcast or was it like, we're going to acquire it. You keep doing business as usual. No, they've been awesome. Like they, they have a whole podcast team and a whole network now and yeah. it's awesome. And one of their shows got nominated for an iHeartRadio award. It's a, called Camp Monsters, and it was just a really creative concept. I think everybody does these interview-based shows, including myself, but the ones that crush it are the ones that aren't interview-based shows. They're like series-based shows, and this one yeah. is a series about Camp Monsters. So, yeah, so I have a really – the contract, we – I can't really talk about it, but let's just say we went back and forth, but it was really, really yeah. quite a good agreement for me. And I, I couldn't think of a better partner. Like, for me – I wrote down on a piece of paper when I was really young, my goal is to encourage people to get outside and go for it, whatever it may be. I wrote that down on a piece of paper when I was 15. And when I thought about the podcast, I was like, I want people to get over their fear and feel less stuck using nature 
and the outdoors is a catalyst to do so. Because for me, all my surf trips, camping trips, hiking trips, like, like talking to a therapist is helpful and writing like a pro con list on like a piece of paper, that's helpful. But I've made my best decisions in life in the outdoors on a surfboard. Now I just have to make them looking at the ocean. <laughs> we're, we're in quarantine right now, but but still like those moments where I could just go out for a run, I think so much more clearly than staring at my computer. Like I, I just don't function that well. Absolutely. So outside, yeah, it was, was really helpful. I mean, outside. REI has been really helpful. That's their mission is to get people to experience the outdoors and then give like 70% of their profits away, which is amazing. Yeah. And they're lucky to have you because you, you are the embodiment of, of what I think that they want to communicate with their brand and your podcast. You know, it yeah. sounds like a match made in heaven. I'm a little prissy these days. Like I don't really <laughs> camping as much as I used to when I was like 20, but yeah. you know. Yeah. It gets a little chilly and I'll start like, oh, I, I need to bundle up. Back in the day, there was no bundling. None yeah. That ever happened. I never got cold surfing. That didn't happen. <laughs> I know. Like, how about a cabana on the beach? Like, is that yeah. okay? That's like better. Like a cabin on the beach, I'm all about it. But like, yeah. it's, I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, I want to climb into now, let's get into your current endeavors. Um, so Wild Ideas is going on you, and everyone can get on and keep listening to you on there. But I want to climb into, um, well, you've got two new shows launching in 2020. And then I also want to get into um, the current hosting that you've got Loose Fun Life's Changing uh Life-Changing Places podcast. Life-Changing Places podcast by Luke Tonza was something they hit me up for last year. They said, hey, we need a host. We like your show. It's a show about travel. It was done by an agency out of Germany, and they somehow found me. It went to spam. I was like, oh, my God, how could this have gone to spam? Mm -hmm. I contacted the girl, and she's like, okay, well, I'm interviewing some other hosts. They all work for NPR. And I was like, damn. But um, somehow they chose me. Maybe I was cheaper. I don't know. I think I was medium priced. But uh, it was a great relationship. I had nothing to do with the content of the show or the scripting. Um, and it was just a year show. So that show, don't think it's going to be renewed this year just because of how travel's going. Yeah. Um, but it was a really fun concept where we interviewed people about how travel has affected them and made them create a whole career around wherever they traveled to. For example, I interviewed a woman named Thomasina Myers. She's a famous chef in England and she went to Mexico and was like, England has the worst Mexican style Mexican food to England and London. And she has this like chain of amazing restaurants. So it was people like that. Really cool. That's amazing. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, so such unique characters. So it sounds like even throughout that, like the, um, the unique stories and the, the outliers, if you will, kind of are attracted to you. You know, you have um, the, the living like uh, wild ideas and things like that. And then you've got Luz Fonza, like this, I, this, these traveling stories of these characters and things like that. Is that bleeding over into your two new projects? Tell me that you're now interviewing even, even more obscure people and their stories. I don't know. So one of them, one of them also just, it was, it was being sponsored by a CBE company that I hadn't heard from them in a couple of days. And I was like, what happened? I think that whole, that podcast imploded, but the other one is <laughs> yeah. my personal creation. So there's one lot and the other one was for a surf company that we don't know if it's going to launch anymore, but the one that's launching for sure is called vitamin joy. And it's, I'm, 
I guess they're more their characters, but more I'm interested in like, yeah, they're still weird. I'm interested in health <laughs> and wellness and how we can all have more joy in our life without it being super pretentious or and with it being accessible. So my first show, one of my first shows is with a guy named James Nestor. I've actually had him on Wild Ideas Worth Living before, but he's an old friend and we're talking about breath work and breathing just seems so dumb. Like, yeah, of course, breathing, like what's the big deal about it? But breath work, he just wrote a book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And he discovers that through the right types of breathing, which by the way, it's, it's nasal breathing, um, slowly through your nose, in through your nose and out your nose, but breathing a certain way will transform your jaw structure, not just your anxiety, your depression, illnesses like asthma. I mean, there's all these amazing things that the right kind of breathing can do. So we unpack things like that. I'm unpacking humor and I'm unpacking comedy because I don't know. I just feel like we live in a time where it's like not the coolest to be, you have to be politically correct. And I, I'm, I'm all for that, but I'm also for the truth and I'm for comedy as a way to communicate messages and, and to heal personally. Like, I just think humor is such an awesome art. I'm not that great of it, but I love comedy. And I feel like as Americans, especially we crave comedy, like comedy. So vitamin joy is going to unpack how we have more joy in our life through health and humor. And, you know, I'm still developing it. I'm actually going back to my little hair lab business plan and doing the whole thing for vitamin joy right now. I like the idea of it. The name is clever too. It's like a, it feels like a play on what I was kind of expecting for you to say. It's, it's and unpacking some of those, um, those core tenets of what life is and looking those at those as I'm assuming the parody is on vitamins, you know, it's, it's this kind of supplement to our life and these things that we need to kind of grow and become joyful. It's clever. I like that a lot. So I'm wondering if you looking forward at the next couple of years, um, the, the current reality and climate across all economies has changed, but I don't always think that that's a bad thing. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs lately who have said, it's given me time to reevaluate and, um, you know, course correct and, and things of that nature. So I'm wondering if you have looked forward to the next three years or one to three of what you're seeing happen with your company and um, what you see kind of being the major things that you're pushing towards. Yeah, so full transparency, I was planning on traveling the next like three months. Yeah, you and me both. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah, I'd I'd worked really hard and did this deal and was like, I'm out. Um and now I'm I'm needed. So I am designing that course uh online, how to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. There's a course now available. I'm trying to make it a little bit more robust and user-friendly. I'm launching Vitamin Joy. There's still companies talking to me about hosting, but I think the real thing I want to start doing is coaching more people. Do you view so, invites to a coach? Yeah, yeah. Not like I never like I kind of cringe at the word coach. Like ah, it like used. To, but I yeah. love helping people go after their wild ideas. Like I've done all my wild ideas, and so I've done a couple private sessions with people who are trying to transition, transition their businesses now. I mean, just going through hair lab was such a great experience for me. I'm able to coach people like pretty fast on how they need to think about their business. Um, so 
I, I see myself really coaching people on how to better tell their stories so they can sell them and monetize them and make a living and eat. I used to not think that monetizing things was important, but then I realized I couldn't live off of rice and beans for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it also, yeah, developing a better relationship with, with, with money um, and, and helping people with that as well. And then, you know, I love the podcast space. So I want to dive deep in the podcast space. Uh, and eventually, you know, I see myself having a piece of land that I could grow my own food. I know that's not like a business necessarily goal, but it's a huge personal goal. And I, I'm like, especially during this time, it would have been really cool to have a big piece of land with like a slack line and trees and yeah, I think the universe and the cosmos brought us together because it's been one of my goals for the past year. And I did smart, start a small, small garden. I don't garden. I would rather um, die than, than in, inflict that kind of punishment upon plants. But I will hire the best gardener in the world. But the concept of growing my own produce has become wildly important to me. And I don't know why. It came upon me one day. And ever since, I'm like, I need to be growing it, especially in Southern California. You know, I, I can't picture why I'm not growing everything from my own broccoli and cabbage and tomatoes to avocados. So yeah, I'm obsessed that's really with that cool. Well. I, so yeah, that's, that's about it. I, I, I'm trying to think further than that, but I think we're learning right now. Like you can think as far as you possibly can, but things are going to shift. So absolutely. Uh, for, for me, family is also really important. I don't have uh, kids, but we have a big family and sisters that have kids and I have lots of nieces and nephews and parents that are still alive and spending time with them is kind of everything right now for me. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great wake up call to myself as well. I, I thought I stayed really clear on what out a little bit. Oh, let me see. It's a great wake up call. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's been a mark that time again. It's been a great wake up call for me um, as well. And I thought I was really clear on the importance of family, but I, I guess you can never become too clear. You know, like you can never um, swim too much or I can't. <laughs> there's, there's always more to be done. And with family, there's always more appreciation to be had. Um, staying ever grateful. Well, I want to wrap everything up with um, talking about advice. I'm known for drawing out this, um, this kind of instance where I ask all of my guests. And so I'm going to do that to you now and say, um, if you were out surfing, if COVID was ended at some point um, and you were out surfing and you ran into another woman or a female identified or non-binary individual, they said, listen, I'm going to get going um, with my own enterprise. I've got this background in writing and journalism, and I really think I want to start doing this podcasting thing, and I'm not quite sure, but um, do you have like top three pieces? What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual? Um, start. That's like the biggest piece of advice. Like we spend a lot of time on a business plan, but like eventually you just have to, sailors say it best, eventually you just have to untie the dock lines and set sail. Um, if she paddled up to me in the surf and like said all this, she'd be probably a little neurotic. So she'd probably be a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'd say the second thing is you have to be really kind to yourself uh, and, and not compete. That means not, not competing with other people or, you know, we don't know if someone's chapter one is really their chapter 20. So they say uh, comparison is the biggest thief of joy. So so be kind to yourself along the way, uh, start, and then have a why, because like Simon Sinek, you can watch that, and a lot of people talk about having a why, but 
you're going to have people who doubt what you're doing and you're going to self doubt yourself along the way. And starting a part podcast is, it's actually kind of a lot of work. Um, it's getting easier. There's, there's a lot more tools and production companies that make it easier for us today, but they say that seven is the magic number of shows that you, you will get to. And if you get past seven shows, you're, you're in it. But a lot of people, most people quit before show seven. So if you have a why that's really strong beyond, I just want to make money or I think it's cool. Like you've got to have a strong why. Like for me, I'm like, I want, this as my business. I don't want to create a product, but I'll, I'll create a podcast. And I wanted to help people. It was, those were strong enough whys for me that I, I stayed in the game, even when I felt stuck or self-doubt crept in, which it's inevitable in any business. So that's what I would tell her. Nice. So be kind, have a why, and just start like a mother. <laughs> I love it. And you just summed them all up, which I normally do, and I prefer you doing it. Those are awesome. Those are solid pieces. I completely concur. Um, and we are out of time today, but Shelby, I will loop back around and convince you. You don't live too far from me, so I could physically harass you at some point when COVID's over. But um, I definitely want to um, revisit what you're doing and climb back into your podcast in about a year. And hopefully I can uh, make that happen. I just want to say right now, thank you so much for lending all of your wisdom and your candor and your advice to us today. Thank you. And thanks to all of you guys uh, for listening. I appreciate it. And for doing this round two, I really appreciate that as well. Um, for everyone listening, thank you so much for giving us your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay safe and always bet on yourself. Sancho.